Hey friends, welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Audrey Lee Hickman Hunter. The No Wrong Turns podcast talks to people about their story and their passions. It aims to see how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. How is everyone doing? How are you guys hanging in? How has your quarantine been going? Any new hobbies or old interests that you guys have started or continued? One hobby that I've been dusting off is the good old exercise and planning to actually exercise and actually doing it. I often have the best intentions to exercise and make make time for that, but it's often one of those first things to go out the door for me when I get busy. So this past Sunday, my husband and I were able to get outside and get some exercise with a little run along the river. I am just so thankful that the weather is getting a little bit nicer. The nice weather is starting to make an appearance and peep through, although I'm saying this and last week it snowed. So I am definitely grateful for the sunny, warmer days. So what about you listeners? What are some things you're enjoying about the springtime? Listeners, this is our 12th episode. That is a dozen episodes. Today on our podcast, we have my friend Alex Escobar. And like many guests, I'm finding this is a pattern. I don't exactly remember the year or the time of meeting him, but I thought about it and I think I'm pretty sure I met him in at least 2005 because we went to church together, we were in youth group together, but I can't place can't quite place it so a very long time and I know for sure like a few other of our guests we were in Band of Survivors which is which was in the summer of 2006 together so I'm thinking it's got to be at least that long shout out to our other BOS teammates who have let me interview them so far on the pod we've had DeAndre Coates from episode number eight and Nate Urban from our last episode episode number 11 And spoiler alert, there might be a few other uh, BOS 2006 alumni to come. Today on the episode, Alex will share his story about how he has loved art from a very young age. He went on to pursue art at the Art Institute, and he became a Christian or Christ follower. And then that began growing a new passion of youth ministry, which had him change paths and colleges and majors uh, to become a youth pastor. During his time as a youth pastor, he has moved from his hometown of Chicago to LA to now New Zealand. You are for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing about how Alex grew and developed into his passion of being a youth pastor. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to him or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. A little disclaimer I have for you listeners before listening to this episode is that this interview was recorded a few months ago during the time when the Australian fires were going on before we knew about coronavirus and COVID-19 being on our radar. All right, here's my conversation with Alex. Welcome to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Alex Escobar. Hi, Alex. Hey. You are far, far away. Can you tell the listeners where you are recording from today? Yeah, I'm in Auckland, New Zealand. And so my today is a day ahead of you guys. So Um, I'm I'm speaking into the future. Yes, I can tell you what's going to happen in the next 19 hours. Oh my gosh. Any highlights? Everything changes. New Zealand's not even a country. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's scary. I'm in Chicago and you're in New Zealand. I think it's about 19 hours difference or so. Is that right? Yeah. So we're 19 hours ahead. Yeah. So what season are you in right now? What are, what are the temperatures? We're in our summer. So I like to say okay. that New Zealand's a land mild climate, so it doesn't actually get too hot and doesn't get too cold. But we're in our summer temperatures. We're in the low 70s sort of a thing. Oh, yeah. nice. 
Okay, so since I'm just curious, because New Zealand is close to Australia, and right now they have all of those fires at the time of our recording, is this affecting you at all, or affecting New Zealand? Yeah, I mean, because our neighbors, New Zealand has quite a big heart for Australia, and so it's definitely like on our all our radars and our prayers as well. But there was one Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago, where we just had like, this huge orange haze all over Auckland and it was crazy it just it turned the sky yellow and then this deep orange it's almost like you're looking through this really aggressive Instagram filter oh wow yeah was it hard for you to breathe at all no but I actually I have no idea if there's you know any of the toxic air has come over here or not and if it has and it's slowly destroying us I don't know oh gosh (laughs) Well, Alex, can you introduce yourself to us, to the listeners, where you're from, what you do, any fun facts you want to share? Yeah, my name is Alex. I am originally from Chicago, and I grew up there for most of my life, moved there when I was two. Parents still have the exact same house. Yeah, and I was a first-generation American, so both my parents are foreigners from Hispanic-speaking countries, so my dad's from Nicaragua and my mom's from Bolivia. So that's just kind of a unique journey of trying to figure that out. What does it mean to be balance all those cultures together? But yes, yeah, so I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs, the same area as you. And yes, yeah. yeah, and I'm a youth pastor in New Zealand now. I started as a youth pastor in LA for a little bit and then moved here and I've been here for five years. Yeah. Do you have any fun facts you want to share about yourself? Oh, yeah. The fun fact I always tell people is that I have teeth out of order. So I have, on my top teeth, I have a molar and then my canine and then the rest of my molars. And so every time I go to the dentist, it like trips them out and they like get all the dental assistants like, look what happened here. (laughs) Do any of your siblings or your parents have this? No, it was a decision from the orthodontist. It was just easier how they were going to fix my teeth. It was easier to move the molar forward. Yeah. Gosh. Wow. That is a good fun fact. So you were from Chicago and you said you had two parents, but can you tell us a little bit more about how you grew up? If you had any siblings, just kind of give us a little framework. Yeah. So grew up with both my parents, wonderful parents in the house. And I have two brothers. I'm your classic middle child, (laughs) Uh, older brother and a younger brother. And yeah, I mean, it's a good family. I'm still keeping in touch with them, and yeah. Are they, you said your parents are still in Chicago. Are your brothers still in Chicago as well? My older brother's in Colorado, and my little brother has just moved back to Chicago, starting to work full-time there. But my parents are still in our childhood home. I didn't move around at all. You know how some <laughs> kids always move, and that just was not my my childhood. It was more my adulthood. Yeah, a little opposite. Um, so you, when, um, you were in school, did you have any dream careers or passions that you thought you would be doing as an adult? Are we talking when I was a kid or are we talking when I was older? Oh yeah. Kid, elementary, middle school. Yeah. There's a couple things I wanted to be. I wanted to be an archeologist because I thought they dug up dinosaur bones. That's paleontologist. I was a kid, you know, so I Jurassic Park (laughs) just come on. So I was like, I want to be dinosaur bones. But I also wanted to be an astronaut and mm-hmm. realistically maybe a basketball player. Really reaching for the stars there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. When you were in high school, were you still wanting to pursue these careers and passions? No, I was always the short <laughs> kid. But no, when I was in high school, I found like a love for art and, and visual art. And so that's kind of what I focused on in high school and wanted to study that in university and kind of make my life based around painting and drawing and visual arts and that sort of thing yeah was there anything that sparked that kind of interest or was it just exposure through classes yeah yeah I think it was a few things I used to draw all the time in school I wasn't a really great student at paying attention so I just doodle on all my stuff and my uncle when I was a kid just saw me looking at a picture and then recreating it and he thought it was really really cool that I was doing that so he kind of just took me to the art store and bought me a whole bunch of stuff to kind of help feed into that. Then it must have been 11 years old or something. I was really young. But then in high school, I had lots of friends who did art as well. And so we kind of 
fueled each other's passions and challenged each other. And like, if we were hanging out and doing art, you kind of are in that same aura of inspiration. So, so that was also really big for me in high school is having friends with like-minded passions. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really nice of your uncle to start leaning into that passion. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. So when you were at the end of high school, were you thinking about, like people were thinking about their next steps, were you wanting to go to college or what were you thinking that you were going to be doing after high school? Yeah, I was already on like a college track for the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. So I took some uni classes in my junior year and then was kind of heading in that direction. So after high school, that's that's where I was going. Like I, I did my first year of university at the School of the Art Institute and studied art there for about a year. So that was always the track until things kind of changed, you know. So between high school and college, did you have any turning points? Because you started for a year and then something happened that, cha- that changed. Did you have any turning points? Yeah, so I didn't grow up in a Christian household. So my journey is that I actually started this the relationship with Jesus when I was 18, just at the end of high school. And so that drastically changed my my way that I engaged with life, but it didn't take away my art or anything. But then in 2006, right after high school and the start of, start of university, we were in a program called Band Survivors, which I think you and I were both in the exact same year. Yeah, we were. Oh, six, booted up. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, that's a very intentional missionary and discipleship training for a month long. So we all live in community together. And that was sort of my first real big exposure of what it looks like to do day-to-day engagement with Jesus, you know? And so that was really great. But I did have a really big turning point at that during that month where we were we were on this project and we're walking along, just kind of along the beach, along the shore, mm-hmm. close to Boys Town, because that's where we stayed. And so we were given this project of how can we serve our city. And so my small group decided we're just going to hand out water bottles. We took this cooler we're going to hand out water bottles to all these people who were like, you know, it's really hot summer Chicago day. And so, and during that time, I just ended up chatting with a couple of people and my group went on. So I stayed with them. And so it was two flight attendants, one who lived in Chicago around the North Shore, around Boys Town. Another one was visiting. And so staying with their friend, I really wanted to just see Boys Town, see what it's like. Clearly they were, they were pretty open about their sexuality and open that he was a gay male. And so we were just chatting. And then at some point, as I heard his story and he kind of listened to like what my vibe was. At some point, he asked, like, why are you guys handing out water? And we're just like, oh, we just want to show love in a simple way and, and let people know that like Jesus loves him. You know, I don't know what I said. I just remember his response is that like, he started to tear up. And he just, I don't think he had much of a, I don't know what his story was with Christianity, but there was clearly some hurt there. And I didn't ask him, but he just kind of, and he kind of regathered himself. He said, this is what you should be doing. You should be a pastor. And that was the first person that actually ever planted wow. that idea of what would it be like to be in ministry. And so that was the first time that that planted. And then I did art school for a year. But so it was like a really slow process of thinking about that and processing that and praying into that. And then maybe in 2007, at some point, I was like, I'm going to press into this and see what it's like to be in youth ministry and be a youth pastor. And Yeah. So you went to the Art Institute for a year for school, and then yeah. you had that turning point that made you realize that you should be changing your major and probably your school. Where did you go next? Yeah, so I went to Olivet Nazarene University, which is just like an hour south of Chicago. And it has really similar ways of thinking and beliefs as the Salvation Army, which is my faith background and part of your faith background as well. So I kind of wanted to go yep. somewhere that was familiar. Yeah, so... Yeah, I went there and I studied there and got my bachelor's degree in youth ministry and yeah, stayed there for like four and a half years. Just didn't want to leave? No, I was, because I did art school, I was way behind on my gen eds and Um, (laughs) I picked a very big major, yeah, so. Was there any significant events or milestones that happened to you in college or did you just find it was a really good time for, for learning and preparing yourself for your passion? Yeah, no real significant events. I think I can usually mark what is like beginning of a turning point, but I also think my turns would take a really long time. And so <laughs> so I feel like that whole gap of being in study while also being in ministry, I always remained a volunteer youth leader through that time. I was just really slowly preparing my heart and my mind and 
even just being community of people who are very passionate about ministry and young people. It was just a great way to be with people and then to know and be prepared to what it actually is to step out on your own. You kind of have a support and just great people who poured into you, you know? So, yeah. Awesome. So after those four and a half years, what were you planning to do as you were thinking about graduating? Did you want to move back home to Chicago? Did you want to go pursue some more school or did you find a job? What was next for you? Yeah, I wanted to be, my heart has always been to be a youth pastor in the local church. And so that's what I wanted to do after university. I did one semester of grad school just because I couldn't find anything and they offered a scholarship. But as soon as I got a job offer, I left. I was left that at Olivet too? The one semester? Yeah, that was at Olivet. So starting like a new youth ministry master's program that they were just kind of piloting. So, but yeah, I was open to anywhere. Chicago was great because that was my home base. I've never moved out of Chicago really, but I ended up getting an offer in Pasadena, California. And I kind of just quickly made a life change and a life move and moved to LA and was there for about three years as a youth pastor. Did you know anybody there before you moved out? Nah, knew nobody. Yeah. I just imagine you on like the airport curb with all of your luggage and a little backpack on and like, hey guys, uh, I'm here. I actually, I drove over there because I, I had a car so I was, and I didn't have much stuff. My car was like one suitcase and a whole bunch of music instruments. And <laughs> I did like this great 13 day road trip on my journey there and stopped to saw friends and family. And so, but oh, that's really fun. Yeah, it is one of those things where once you're there, what do I do? I don't know anybody, you know? And so you really have to put yourself out there to create community. And it takes time for Mm -hmm. people to invite you in on their life in a real way, yeah. So you moved to California. And what were some of the things that you learned or just some things that stuck out to you in your time there? Yeah, I think I learned how to be on my own and how to be intentional. I think I learned a little bit about my, what are naturally my strengths as well. So it is where the point where I was realizing I was a bit more of an includer and was kind of intentional of how am I looking at cultures and systems that are being inclusive of everybody. And so I remember when I first moved there, there was young adults roughly around my age and like a small young adults who were a little bit younger and they're just so disconnected and both groups wanted to be connected with each other, but they're like, we don't know if they invite, you know, if they want us as part of it. And so all I did was I just friended both groups and then I would just invite them all over to my place. <laughs> and then, yeah, so I was like, well, I'm just going to intertwine them naturally. And um, so, yeah, so it is a place where I found a little bit more of what my natural strengths are. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're in New Zealand now, not California. So how did you get there? This is a question I get all the time when I meet somebody new in New Zealand, it's like, oh, what brought you to New Zealand? <laughs> and there's no real subtle way of just saying, I moved over for a girl. <laughs> you know, I was, I was in a long distance relationship for um, maybe close to two years. And, you know, we were always kind of trying to move at one place or the other. And it just turned out that we, we moved to New Zealand where she lived. She had to move cities as well. So we both moved into the city where I got ended up getting a job. Yeah, so we were going to pursue that. Yeah. Okay, so what kind of job were you able to find to move over to New Zealand? Was it youth pastor as well? Yeah, so the unique thing about the Salvation Army is that it's actually so internationally connected. And so I had some connections for this in New Zealand from the Salvation Army, and I became a youth pastor in West Auckland. And that's how I first moved and started there. Awesome. So you got over to New Zealand, and what were your first impressions? First impressions was this place, you know, although I'm Hispanic, I look very white, you know, like people don't guess that I'm, that I'm Hispanic, but I'm also, I've never been used to a white church because all the churches I've been have been so multicultural. Mm-hmm. And so when I moved here, my first impression in my West Auckland church was I was like a white speck in a very brown church. And there's so many cultures there. So I instantly felt comforted, I, you know, like I love all the cultures here, but then I was also really instantly overwhelmed it's like I actually don't know any of these cultures because these were all island cultures that I knew nothing about so we had Tongan and Samoan and Fiji and Maori, Maori and even 
random South Africans and few we call white Kiwis Pakiha or white people in general. They're usually <laughs> called Pakiha. We got few Pakiha here and there. I was like, there's a lot I need to learn. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of my first impression. Comfort in the cultures, but then discomfort. I know nothing about these cultures and there's a lot to learn. Wow. Were you able to make friends easily to learn more and learn more about the new place that you moved to? I mean, when you move over with somebody who's connected, it's a little easier to make friends. So Mm -hmm. my ex, my girlfriend at the time, you know, met a lot of her family and her friends. And so that was quite easy. But just like any other community, it does take time. So you really have to put yourself out there. But for learning for the cultures, it's just listening well, like being okay with asking questions, even if it seems silly or dumb and trusting people to be patient with you enough to explain things well. And if you don't understand, ask for clarity, you know. Have you ever been told to increase sales by hiring more people and then you are left with just a few new staff and no effective training support? onboarding that mismanages expectations or development plans that don't deliver results? Or are you struggling with communicating with your team remotely and need a shortcut into the best way to manage them? Performance Incubator supports individuals and organizations through training and development plans. With changes in the economy, it's vital that the right people are hired and ramp up time reduced. And Performance Incubator is partnered with Thomas International, a global leader in people assessment tools. To contact them, you can find them on their Instagram at performance underscore incubator. That is at P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E underscore I-N-C-U-B-A-T-O-R. Thanks for supporting the pod, Performance Incubator. All right, back to Alex's story. Looking back now, because you've been there for several years, was there any customs or, I don't know, cultural sayings or something that you totally missed at first? And now you say, oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing. I can't believe I did that. Or, oh wow, I can't believe it took me so long to pick up on that. Uh, yeah, there's not so much of customs of words. I call them foreigner moments. I still have them. I was emceeing a youth worship night and they have these things called chip buddies, which is like, they just take hot chips, so like fries, which they call yeah. hot chips. They, they put it in a white bread. They just wrap it in untoasted white bread and they put ketchup on it. Just carbs on carbs, right? <laughs> they call it chip buddies. As I was... And seeing this event, I was like, oh, I love Chip Buddies because it's two of my favorite things coming together. It's, you know, it's carbs and bread and then it's carbs and hot chips and fries and bringing them together. We had a whole bunch of churches there together. And then how they're buddies. And so I was just them seeing and just being lively. And then one of my youth leaders messaged me afterwards like, I loved how you tied those things together. I just wasn't sure if you knew it's Chip Buddies, like with a T and not Chip Buddies. <laughs> with a d and i was like oh okay a little bit of a foreigner moment but there are a lot of cultural customs that i had to just sit and get used to and because we're a very unique country where our indigenous population the maori way of life is still really like prevalent but it also is it's been a little overshadowed by western european ways and so it's just carving out space to listen well and and doing some of their customs that they have especially when you go to a new place or start a new event how do you have a Maori lens and what you're doing and how you're incorporating that way of life? So a lot of stuff that we do looks a little bit different than maybe Australia or even the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a whole nother culture to learn about. Well, I'm glad your friend was able to text you to kind of let you know after you <laughs> spoke loudly to everybody. But I guess you could just blame it on your accent. Yeah, I mean, I've been here five years. and I'm still finding these things happening, you know, so I should just start writing down all my foreigner moments. Yeah, that would be kind of funny to read about. After you moved over, you got your job, you're getting settled in. What were kind of the next things that happened to you in your in your job or just different things that you learned or life events that happened to you? Yeah, so my church was wonderful and I love my job. I love I love working in West Auckland. I also moved here when I was a bit older. So I think I was 27 when I first moved here. And, you know, you're in a long-term relationship you're clearly thinking about next steps Mm -hmm. and so that was one thing that we were very open about was just like 
do we want to get married? And like, that's where our life was going. And so we're kind of planning that. And so I moved here and we we're together about a year and a half. And then, you know, at the end, it just didn't happen. And so we, we didn't get married. And so I then had to wrestle with, okay, I now live across the world. I, you know, I'm now in a space where I don't have any family. And the intent was to, to start a family and be part of a family. And so family and people are just really important to me. So I kind of had to, it's kind of like in a, not even like a crop crossroads. It was a little trapped. I was like, I'm now a youth pastor at this church and I believe in longevity, but I also feel this is her space and this is where she needs to be as well. And so what does this actually look like? And what is, I clearly needed a next step and a, and a turn. And so, yeah, so I had a long journey of living in that space. So what was your, what was your next step? Did you, or she moved to a different place or how did you go about that? Yeah. So it was just very clear that my next step was that I had to switch churches. And that was, there's nothing to her. It was just me personally, like in order to move on, I just needed to be out of the environment. She had family there. She had family that connected in that church. And it just was unfair for me. I, I never did, but it was just unfair for me to ask her to move. So I, I needed to move on to a different church, but because I work in church, I also needed a new job with that. And, and I also was paying off student loans in us dollars. So I kind of needed to <laughs> make enough money that could fit that currency exchange. And so I was at the same point where I was like, I'm willing to work anywhere. I applied to places all over the US. I couldn't apply to places in New Zealand because of my visa. And so I was just trying to figure out where is God leading me? And I honestly, I just felt trapped. So I knew what the next step had to be. I didn't feel like I had a lot of control in what the next step was. But you're still in New Zealand. So you're applying to jobs in the US. But what happened for you to not move back? home or back to the U.S. and you stay there in New Zealand? Yeah, it's totally financial. Couldn't live without a full-time job. Couldn't even live with a part-time job just in the way that I was paying loans. So I didn't have a choice to move back to the U.S. without a job. And so I, been, I was looking for jobs. I think I like applied. I don't know how many places I applied. I had to be over 30 places in the course of two years oh. of looking for jobs. And at some point I got my residency here. And so that opened a pathway for me to apply for jobs in New Zealand as well. It was very slow. And I through that process, I ended up getting interviewed in a job offer at the church that I'm at now, which is St. Paul's Anglican Church, which is in the city. So I didn't have to move cities, which is really nice. And I got to stay in New Zealand and kind of just start this new season. And they brought me in as the youth pastor there. And so kind of continuing the same ministry and vocation, but I think got to enter into a new season, which was very needed for me. But it was about a two and a half year gap until that started. I wanted to ask you for getting your residency. What kind of process is that like? Because I only know about the one here in the States. Was it, it obviously was not, I mean, kind of long, but not as long as I know some people wait. Yeah, I qualified for, for a unique residency here called Skilled Migrant Residency, which basically if there's a job shortage in New Zealand, you can get residency quicker than most people. And apparently there's a job shortage of minister of religion. And so I just had oh, I had the background and I had the experience and I had the degree. And so I applied for it on a whim and ended up getting, so I got, to, I got residency quicker than most people do. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's kind of interesting that they're like, oh, we got a shortage of ministers. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought they did, but apparently, I don't know, I could have changed since then. That was over two years ago. So That's fine. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So your job, you said, is pretty similar to the previous two that you had with being in youth work. So middle school, high school. Yes, this one is middle school and high school. It's different that it's Anglican, so... I became Anglican like nothing, you know, just like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in the Salvation Army for 13 years, so I'm adjusting what it's like to be a part of another church family and denomination. It's also a bigger church, which I'm not used to. It's a church with more than one service. And what does it look like to have families spread out through different services? And so, but at the same time, it's my familiar area. It's, it's youth work and it's youth ministry. And so. I was wondering if I, my ministry time would have ended or not, or my youth work ministry time would have ended or not, and it hasn't, and I'm kind of okay with that, and I'm still in it, and I'm still loving it, you know, so, yeah. 
What are some of your favorite things about being in youth ministry? Uh, I think young people keep you on your toes. They're brutally honest and they have no filter sometimes. But <laughs> I like that about it. You never know what's going to come up. But I think youth culture changes so fast. It's always changed really fast. And I think with increase of technology and social media, it's even changing at a more rapid rate since I've started. And so you're always thinking of new creative and innovative ways of connecting and building up young people. And I actually, I like that it never remains the same because I think it would mm -hmm. get too, so you can like, you can work for two years and figure out a rhythm that works well and then you need to, to redo that rhythm because it no longer works, you know, so. Yeah, I definitely think youth ministry is kind of funny when you're looking back into the archives of older youth ministry resources, just mm -hmm. because it kind of goes with culture, but at the same time, it's a little behind culture. So there's just, I've seen a lot of funny YouTube videos, seen a lot of funny books with interesting pictures and font decisions. Oh, yeah. You can definitely date a youth ministry book just by its cover. Uh, 100%. 100%. I kind of want to keep talking a little bit more about your passion for youth ministry because we kind of highlighted how you got there and how you got to New Zealand to where you are. You became a believer kind of as you were leaving the youth age. So what do you remember about being in youth group and how did that affect your passion today for youth ministry? Yeah, you know, I found my faith through youth ministry and through the youth group. I think I first connected when I was 17, so my senior year, and then I became a believer when I was 18, which means I only really spent my last semester of high school as part of the youth group. So my... <laughs> People have all these memories of youth group days, and I literally have four months of my youth group days. But what was significant was for me, it was my youth pastor, which was our youth pastor at the time. Um, what, what? Lisa yeah, Jordan, so our youth pastor. Out. Yeah, so Lisa Jordan, I remember when I was leaving high school and the new year was starting, because I was staying in the same community at the Art Institute, I didn't have to move. She asked if I wanted to be a youth leader, and so she kind of she trusted me as a new believer didn't grow up in church is like what would it be like to lead a group of intermediate boys and be a leader with this youth group and so she really kind of just really empowered me and that had a huge impact on my life and I was terrible in the beginning you know and but she's also really trusting and very encouraging and it just empowered me to step into a place that was unfamiliar to me and I think by being given that opportunity that's how I discovered oh I actually really like youth ministry and I really like working with young people. And I was still a young person at the time, but yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, so awesome. I think that was like the biggest impact. So I was studying art and then on my volunteer time, I was doing youth ministry. I actually just like my volunteer more than what I was studying. And so, yeah. Awesome. Why do you think youth ministry is important? I think youth ministry is important because it's where young people are, well, they're developing critical thinking and they're also, they're starting to make choices of their own. So if they grew up in the church, they're starting to figure out, is my faith my own? Or they didn't grow up in the church that, so, you know, they're considering, was it me to step into faith by myself or on my own? Um, but it's also like young people just need to belong. They need to connect. Mm -hmm. They need that you know, accept them and value them just as they are. And I think for youth ministry, we can provide a space like that and even, you know, because I'm in the church, we'll always be up front and we always want young people to connect with Jesus. But we're also really open at creating spaces for any young person to belong. And, and people just need that. Young people just need that. And so I, youth ministry will never die out, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I want to pivot a little bit and ask you if there's any myths or fallacies that you have seen or heard about in your youth ministry experience that you can kind of debunk for us today? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of myths. I think there's three myths that I really thought about when you asked me this question. It's just, one is that you need a degree to be effective in youth ministry. I went to a Christian college and it was the big push and everyone kind of just accepted it. Like you need, you need to know the right things and you need to have a really broad, strong biblical foundation and youth development and youth work. And I fully agree with that, but that will never outweigh somebody's passion through the years of networking and working alongside other youth pastors. From some of them, it just kind of fell on them. You know, they studied something else entirely and they stepped into the youth ministry and then they were in it for like six years and mm -hmm. their passion fueled it and they learned along the way, but 
they didn't have a degree, they didn't have a piece of paper. And so I think if God gives you a passion, he'll also empower your passion, equip you for your passion. And, you know, that empowerment might be a degree and it might not be. Yeah. So I don't think you need a degree, but I think it does help, but you don't need it. And I think another big one for me, which is I think one of the biggest ones is that singleness actually inhibits your influence in ministry. I think a lot of people won't be taken seriously as a single pastor. And that's just kind of a, a reality, but it's hard to not take that on. It's hard not to believe that in yourself or hard, hard to be heard. Yeah. So your singleness doesn't actually define your influence. I think that's a myth. I don't know how to communicate that in an articulate way. Yeah. I think a lot of times as you're growing up, there's different milestones that we mm-hmm. all hit at the same time. Like we all learn to walk, you know, to talk or whatever, ride a bike. Then you graduate from high school. What's the next thing? College. And then most people are like, next thing, getting married. And then if it doesn't happen to you, like it didn't happen for us, we're just, oh, what's going on here? Because I didn't get married till way later than I thought, or I saw my other high school and college friends all getting married. And I was just sitting there like, okay, cool. And then you kind of feel not at the same level. And then all your friends are starting to have kids and you're like, wait, 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 I'm trying to catch up guys. But it's not really the same thing but I think a lot of times in people's mindsets they're thinking oh you didn't hit that milestone yet you know yeah and I think church is getting better and I can't speak for how church as a whole I can only speak in what my experience has been like but um at some point it was okay to be the single youth pastor you know Mm -hmm. because he was like he's young he's energetic he'll find somebody here he'll get married and the influence will increase or something like that right Mm -hmm. but I'm I'm still single. I'm not married. I'm 32 years old. And I remember when I was looking for jobs in that two and a half year span, that was a big thing that prevented me from getting positions. And because it can't legally say it's because of your marital status, I always had to be masked in different ways and different questions. And that, you know, that's hard. As much as I believe my influence is not determined by my relationship status, it's not always perceived that way. Mm -hmm. And And I think I felt this way of being a 30-year-old youth pastor at the time. I almost felt like this way of being seen as like an unsuccessful person. Mm -hmm. Because if you've been in youth ministry for eight years and you're married, good on you for being in it for the long haul. But if you're single and in youth ministry for eight years, one of the questions, why haven't you been married? And why haven't you moved on to real ministry, you know? And nobody said that outright, but you feel that. You feel that in the room. You feel expectation on you. And so... I think for anyone, and it's I think it's harder for women in general, women youth pastors, but if you're single, if you're struggling with how people see you, that just does not prevent your influence. Your influence is not in a relationship status. Your influence is in a relationship with Jesus, you know? And if, if you're in a place of ministry, he's put you there. And so he's mm-hmm. going to equip you. There. He's going to empower you there. Yeah. That's good. Do you have any more myths? Yeah, I think one of the myths that I've learned throughout the years is that you can do youth work without doing youth ministry, but you can't do youth ministry without doing youth work. Can you explain that? Yeah, so the way I see it is like youth work is kind of like youth development, right? And so we're trying to create good, positive outcomes for young people and help them kind of take charge of their life and own and make decisions for themselves you know and kind of come alongside we have this term here we call them alongside as we come alongside young people along every step that they do and you can do that without youth ministry you can lead great youth development and you know without jesus and it has a positive outcome but i think if you're connecting people to jesus youth work has to be a part of it youth development has to be a part of it and i see some people are like you know, our focus is just Jesus. They just need a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's great. That's a great focus. But are we equipping them to to learn what it means to fail well? What happens when life doesn't go, you know? Mm-hmm. And are we equipping them? How do we engage with bullying in their in their schools? Are we are equipping them to debrief? Are we going through, through good steps of youth development? Are we teaching them to connect with the community and to serve in their community? And Jesus can be a part of all these things. But without them, I think we're missing a part of Jesus in their lives, you know, because I come from the era where they just wanted that one more yes to Jesus, right? Like that one more person say yes to Jesus. And I think youth work is a very real practical step of how do we live out being young people in our world? 
And when you put mm-hmm. Jesus in, how are we doing that with faith as a spiritual component of our belonging and our living? Yeah. That's good. I think that's really important. I like how you, the, what was it? The alongsiders? Alongsiders. Yeah. I think that's really awesome because there's so many things like culture is always changing, like we talked about. But if you're alongside and mentoring and able to have relationship and communication where students and youth are wanting to tell you things, then that's the best place to be in to be like working, working with them through what they're thinking to point them back to Jesus. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I think. As you come alongside young people, there is a bit of hand-holding trying to help guide them. But mm-hmm. they need to make decisions themselves. We can't make decisions for them. And we need to empower them to make decisions themselves and feel like they have control. So th- there's this part of alongside it where you're like, you're helping them process what are good decisions. And then you see them sometimes make terrible decisions, you know? You're yeah. like, this is, gonna, this is not going to play out well. And I think part of the alongside is like, you're willing to step with them each step of the way, even if you think it's going to turn out bad. So letting them know, hey, this decision might impact your life in this way, but I'll be with you if that happens. I'll be alongside you if it gets messy or if it looks hard. And then equipping them to make more steps that might actually turn them back into a path that is constructive and life-building. Yeah. So it's, it's stepping into the muck with young people as well. Ooh, that's a good one. That's awesome. So if somebody's listening who your story kind of resonated with them and they're like, Hey, you know, I want to learn a little bit more about or kind of explore this idea of youth ministry. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them? If they're new and they want to explore, I'd say talk to their youth pastor. You know, if they're connected into a church, chat with their youth pastor and, mm-hmm. and step into it. If you want to explore the idea, chat with the youth pastor. They'll have the best ideas of what's working for your community. Cause I can't say what it is, but hopefully they'll provide you an opportunity and empower you to like step into that and explore that yourself. I think that's the first step. <laughs> yeah. That's a great answer. Anything else? Yeah. I would say think of the, think of when you were a young person think of the adults who actually had an influence in your life and ask yourself why that person had a lasting influence? Why did that have an impact on you? I mean, for me, it's very clearly people like Lisa Jordan and our leaders from BOS who entrusted me and empowered me and encouraged me. But also, again, the alongside of things were were in the muck with me and like were with me when I made wrong decisions. And so, yeah, think of a person who had an influence in your life and see how can you be that to somebody else and start from there. Yeah. That's good. I'd also say look outside of your church and see what youth ministry looks like outside of the church context because I think we need more innovation for that as well. And so there's a lot of, well, I don't know how it is where our listeners are at, but for me, there's a lot of stuff going on in our schools, 24-7 youth work and active-based learning that it's, a lot of it is done by Christians who, who love Jesus. And so there is so much of a need outside of the church context that's still developing young people and connecting them with faith in maybe a different way yeah that's awesome what is something that you had wished you had known when you had started out in youth ministry you're like oh if I just had this gem that would have been so great yeah (laughs) or or if Uh, I had just paid more attention when somebody told me this and didn't ignore it 30 times yeah I think the big thing that I came to realization a few years back is pay attention to where your resources are coming from. Who's writing them and to, to what audience are they writing them to? In, in university, we t- did a lot of resources from youth specialties. And, you know, we went to the youth specialties conference. And youth specialties is great. It's been really helpful for me throughout the years. But at the same time, that's, that's serving a very white middle class demographic and you know i've been in churches that have a huge hispanic population not like big island population and the, the way those mis- those resources were written just wasn't resonating with you know with different cultures people from different economic backgrounds and so broaden your horizons where your your resources come from and see if it actually is encompassing a broader worldview and a broader youth culture than just maybe one youth culture yeah what kind of resources would you recommend? Yeah, keep up with your books. So I can't recommend the books that I learned because I feel like they're outdated. We already talked about, <laughs> you know, it can happen um, so quick. It's crazy. I know. 
One of the ones that had a really lasting impact for me was, was Sticky Faith. And I think that one's still really relevant. And Sticky Faith is a great book. I'm reading a book now called Faith for Exiles, which is published last year, I think. And really helpful with new research. But one of the things I found, even since the space when you first contacted me to now, is finding a youth ministry podcast. Youth ministry is really hard. So you need to keep, have things that keep fueling your passion. And so I found a podcast for New Zealand called Youth Ministry in New Zealand, which is not very creative, but in its <laughs> name. But it's it's speaking into my context. And so it's actually really practical and really engaging with the culture and the, the home base that I'm at. And so I'd say find a youth ministry podcast that speaks to where you're at and listen to the conversations and the innovation of others and what they're doing that's a good one love a good podcast me too it's great when you have a long commute so (laughs) totally all right i have one final question for you and i ask all the podcast guests this and it's what's fueling you today what's fueling your passion This could be anything from a new coffee drink order or a new restaurant or a new favorite part of town or new TV show you found. So what's feeling you today, Alex? Yeah, I think one of my biggest things is my home group. I have a really incredible home group that just we all mix really well. It grew organically and naturally as we've been together for the past year. Is that like a small group when you say home group? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so a small group. And they don't see me as pastor in their group, which is really helpful, especially if you're coming out of a, a small church. And so having a good home group that's going to encourage you and build you up and let you wrestle with things and chat through things with you and prayerfully support you, like that's huge. We're telling young people to be in, in home groups or being small groups with each other, and we need to be doing it ourselves. So that's probably the biggest influence. But I think the two hobbies that fuel me is I got into climbing this year. Ooh, so I've been fun. doing, yeah, I've been doing bouldering and that's been a really great mindful practice for me because there's a lot of problem solving with it. It's good exercise. It's a bit of a puzzle. And so it keeps my mind focused, but it also disengages my mind from youth work. You know, it's a great way to actually focus on something different. Yeah. Bouldering's the yeah. one where you're going side to side, right? You're not going up most of the Uh, time? You're still going up, but it's described as the sprints of the climbing world. So they're shorter, more intense problems. Yeah. Okay. It's like when it's like long distance climbing. So if it's like lead climbing or top rope climbing, I have no endurance for it. But (laughs) I like bouldering because I don't need somebody to hold the rope for me to be me. I can go on my own. Yeah. Nice. That's pretty fun. Is there a lot of places to climb close to you? There's a few, but there's, I got into it because there's a new bouldering gym quite close by, and so I just got a membership, okay. so it's my gym membership, yeah, yeah. Nice. Do and you feel like you have really strong hands now because of this? I've felt the difference, yeah. I've definitely felt the difference. I don't see a difference. You, know, you see the grip, like something you couldn't hold on to before, and all of a sudden it's really easy, and so bouldering has very measurable growth, you know? And so that's encouraging. If you're in a job where sometimes you feel like you're always losing, it's nice to have a hobby that feels like you're winning sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And what was your second hobby that you said was fueling you? Yeah. Coffee for me is a huge hobby and more of like, I love the art of sharing it, but I love the art of creating it as well. And so that's been a hobby for like the last maybe 10 years of my life. But having something to focus on to always get better, it's like somebody who likes cooking and trying to figure out what's that better recipe. There's no perfect, but there's always a better. And so past couple of years, I've um, done a competition and so I'll do it again this year. And so Can just you having- describe what it's like uh, for a coffee competition? Because I've seen yeah. a photo, but I just need to know what happens. The competition that I do is allows somebody who is not a professional to enter in. So they provide the beans for you. And the equipment's very cheap. And so this is a very specific competition. It's the AeroPress competition, which is just a certain way of making coffee. So that means all you need is an AeroPress. And you're given some rules. You can only use coffee and water, and you have a time limit. But other than that, you have kind of free reign. And so it's a bracket style. They taste your coffee. They don't know whose coffee's who, and you go up against two other people. And the judges pick their favorite, a very subjective favorite. And if you get more votes than the others, you move on. If you don't, you get eliminated. Oh, <laughs> so it's wow. Pretty, pretty ruthless. So yeah, you can prepare for a year and then get out the first round. So. 
So do they have the little like foghorn be like, start and a little countdown clock or how does that work? Yeah. So this one is, this one's more of a party as well. And so there's some coffee competitions that are very, everybody's quiet. You have to give a monologue and it's very professional. And this one's like, they have somebody and there's free drinks and they're doing ping pong tournaments and it's quite a party and it's quite a show. And so there's a big atmosphere of fun and a big atmosphere of support even between the competitors, which I really like. So they do tell you your time starts now, but it's not like really tense in the room. You know, people are having a good time. Yeah. So how did you do at your last coffee competition? Yeah, so I've done it two years. This last year, I got smashed. I just did not do well, which is fine. But my first year, I did a lot better. But I'll work towards this next year. And I've got a few ideas on how to get better and what I need to work on. So yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Alex, so much for your time and just for being on the podcast today. Thank you. I have loved our conversation with Alex. It has been awesome to see how Alex truly grew into his passion for youth ministry because of his high school transformation of becoming a Christian and then changing the course of his life ultimately through changing colleges, changing majors. It was incredible to hear about his experience of being on an outreach afternoon in Chicago and in conversation with a complete stranger who was affirmed and encouraged in his calling to be a pastor. I really enjoyed hearing about Alex's passions of art, youth ministry, climbing, and coffee. I hope that we are all encouraged today about how Alex discovered and gradually pursued his calling of youth ministry. My prayer is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. Hey friends, I wanted to thank you so much for giving the No Wrong Turns pod a listen. Can you consider helping me out, helping the podcast out, and leaving a rating and review on either iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, basically wherever you're listening? This really helps other people to be able to see the podcast when they're searching on the app. Thanks in advance. Our episode was edited by our podcast editor, Sophia Bote, social media managed by Olivia Bote, and you all can see the show notes for our music credits.